What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. difficult things for any person to go through is a relationship that ends and you know many relationships end because either one person or the other person or oftentimes both people do something horrible to the other which causes that relationship to end you have dating relationships that end because of that you have marriage relationships that end because of that you have friendships that end because of that but one of the most difficult relationships to have end is when they end not because of something horrible that someone did, it's when they end because of death. And the reason that's even harder is because both of those people wanted that relationship to continue, but yet death robbed them of being able to have that relationship continue. And I'm sure many of you have had a loved one that they have found out that they only have a short bit of time left to live left to be on this earth, left to be with you. And when the reality of that hits you, it often just hits you like a ton of bricks because you realize that your relationship with that person, you know, is about to end. They're no longer going to be with you anymore. And that reality is just so hard to deal with. And you have many emotions. You have many feelings that you're struggling with as you kind of try to wrap your brain around that reality. And the situation that Jesus's disciples are in right now is a situation similar to that because Jesus has just told them, you know what, guys, I'm going to leave you and where I'm going, you can't come. And so from the perspective of the disciples, they're thinking of this as like, man, the relationship that we have with Jesus is about to end. You know, all this time that we've had with him, the blessing of being with him for the last three years, that's all going to stop. And so from their perspective, those words of Jesus would mean the finality of this relationship of discipleship that they have with him. But what they didn't understand is that the relationship they have isn't over when Jesus departs from them. It's just going to be a little different. It's going to continue, but maybe they weren't fully aware of that at the time. But here in John chapter 15, Jesus is going to share with the disciples three important things about um, their relationship with different groups after Jesus departs from them. And so here's kind of a breakdown of this chapter. In verses 1 through 11, Jesus is going to share how the disciples should relate to Jesus uh, after he departs. Uh, In verses 12 through 17, Jesus is going to share how the disciples should relate to each other after he departs. And then in verses 18 through 27, Jesus is going to share how the disciples should relate to the world after he departs. Now, there's so much great stuff in each one of these sections that to try to do the whole chapter in one teaching wouldn't do any of them justice. And so this morning, we're going to focus on this first thing that Jesus deals with in verses 1 through 11, and that is the disciples' relationship with him, our relationship with him after he departs. And so what Jesus is going to share in these verses really are going to be some vital truths about something that is so important for us to understand, for us to really grasp. And that is for us as believers, how is it that we can have a fruitful Christian life? You know, as Jesus deals with these things, that's kind of be the the ultimate message he's going to share with his disciples. He's been sharing lots of great, valuable things with them. And now he wants to help them understand how is it that you have a fruitful Christian life? life? How do we achieve that? You know, I hope that's something that all of us as Christians want. 
And I'm sure many of you have asked the question, yeah, I would love to have a very fruitful Christian life, but what do I have to do in order to make that possible? You know, as a pastor, I get many questions, and some of those common questions are questions like, how can I have a godly life? How can I have a godly marriage? How can I be a more godly parent? How can I have a greater godly impact on this world? And really, all those different types of questions are kind of under this heading of how can I be more fruitful in these different areas of my life, whether it be my marriage or parenting or my witness or or how I work. You know, that's really what people are asking. And so how do I and how do you bear godly fruit in our life? What is it that we must do in order for that to be possible? Well, in the verses we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to tell us the most important thing that you and I need to do if you want to be a Christian who bears much fruit for God. You see, there's one main thing that you and I need to do more than anything else. If the goal is, I want to bear fruit for God, then there's one thing that has to happen, and that one thing is that you and I must abide in Jesus. You know, this word abide is used 10 times by Jesus in these first 11 verses. If you ever read through the Bible and you see something repeated over and over and over again, especially in such a small amount of time, you should take a step back and take notice here. It's quite clear and obvious. This is the main message Jesus wants us to understand. He repeats abide 10 times in 11 verses because he wants us to know this is essential for you and I to be able to bear fruit. And connected to abiding is bearing fruit, which he mentions six times in these 11 verses. So 10 times abiding, six times bearing fruit, because he wants us to know that connection. You have to abide in Jesus if you want the result of bearing fruit. Now, Jesus is going to teach about how to bear fruit in your life by using an illustration of a grapevine and the fruit that it produces. And before we get into the illustration of the grapevine, I want to share with you why this would have been such an important and maybe even more significant and impactful illustration for the disciples. Why would Jesus, I mean, he could have chosen any type of fruit-bearing plant in order to use as an illustration for bearing fruit, but yet he specifically chooses grapevines. And there's a reason for that. Actually, I want to share three things that I think give good reason for why Jesus would have chosen grapevines. First, Jesus used a grapevine as an illustration for practical reasons. You see, the disciples would have been very familiar with grapevines. Maybe for you and for me, especially if you're living you know, in a city, maybe you haven't seen grapevines or you don't regularly see grapevines. But back in Israel at that time, you know, there were grapevines growing all over the place. Uh, it was something that would have been you know, on people's houses. It would have been something on most people's properties. Uh, this was something that you know, was... They had a wonderful climate, and they still do there in Israel. If you remember when the spies went into the land and they bring back these huge grapes, and it's like, wow, look what this land produces. It's a land that is a great climate for producing grapes, and so many people would grow it, and it has great value for its personal consumption. You can eat them, but you also can make wine out of them, and especially in that culture, that was very significant not only to have wine for yourself, but it was a great way to earn a profit and some money, and so people would grow, and you could grow it on the side of your house, you could grow it in your backyard, you know, growing grapes was something that would have been very significant, and so the disciples would have had that surrounding them, and probably many of them on their own property at some point in time in their lives would have had grapes, or at least they would have known someone who grew grapes, and so they would have been quite familiar with the process of growing grapes and the need for a vine dresser to work on the grapes in order for them to bear more fruit, And so it's a great illustration from a a practical standpoint because these disciples are so familiar with grapevines. So that's the first reason that Jesus would have used it because of the disciples' familiarity with it. But the second reason that Jesus uses grapevines as an illustration is for personal reasons. You see, the grapevine was a symbol that God used throughout the Old Testament for the nation 
of Israel. And so any Jew like these disciples were, they would have had a very big personal connection to the grapevine. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Psalm um, chapter 80, verses 8 and 9, it says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. You know, this is speaking about how God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt and then took them to the promised land and has given this wonderful illustration of a vine that's now planted and God is the planter and he's placed the nation of Israel in the land that he has promised to them. And you see all these verses in the Old Testament that speak about God as that vine dresser, that planter, the nation of Israel as his great vine. And there's this wonderful connection spoken of throughout the Old Testament about this. And the symbol of the grapevine is so important to the Israelites at that time that it was on their coins. So as you can see from this picture, one of their significant coins that they would use was a coin of a grape there on the vine. It was also something that if you would go to the entrance of the temple, these giant pillars of gold wrapped around these pillars were golden vines with grapes. Why? Because once again, a reminder of the fact that the nation of Israel is God's grapevine. And that was something that they took pride in. It was something that was significant and personal to them. And so not only was it a practical illustration for the disciples, it was a personal illustration for the disciples. But the third reason Jesus used a grapevine is because it had a spiritual reason as well. You know, the the vine of the grapevine was something that was a recognized symbol of the Messiah. And so not only is the grapevine the symbol of the nation of Israel, but the vine itself was something as they were hoping for the coming Messiah, it was symbolic of that. And so this is quite interesting because we're going to see that Jesus himself is about to connect himself to the vine. Jesus is the Messiah, and it's this symbol that was recognized by the disciples. So it would have been a very easy connection for them to make that Jesus the Messiah is the vine because that was something symbolic that the nation of Israel already looked to. And so Jesus uses a grapevine as an illustration as opposed to a fruit tree or apple tree, whatever, because of these personal and these practical and spiritual reasons that would have really connected with the disciples because the ultimate goal is he wants them to understand. And so he's using an illustration that would best suit their ability to comprehend what he's trying to teach them. So now that we better understand why Jesus would have chosen this illustration as opposed to another one, let's see what he wants to teach us through this illustration, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 15. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So notice here that Jesus starts this illustration by sharing with us his seventh and final I am statement here in the Gospel of John. So, so far as we've traveled through John's Gospel, we've seen six I am statements of Jesus, and now Jesus makes his final I am statement, which is, I am the true vine. Now, I want you to notice here the the emphasis of what Jesus says. He doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine vine. And this is important to note because I've already mentioned that the vine was very significant for the nation of Israel from a practical standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint. And most of the Jews at that time believed that their connection to God came because of their nationality. It came because they were descendants of Abraham, because they were Israelites. That's why we are connected to God. And their thinking was, since we are the vine, the the nation of Israel, that's what connects us to God, the vine dresser. 
Now, something important to note is the majority of the Old Testament verses that speak of Israel as this vine, this grapevine, are actually speaking of them in a negative way, not a positive way. Almost every time you have this this recognition of Israel as this grapevine, it goes into what God wanted from them versus what they became. And let me give you a couple of examples that show that they really weren't the true vine that they should have been. Instead, they were this false vine. Isaiah chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 2 are great chapters that that get into it. I'll just read a few verses that help us understand what I'm talking about. Isaiah 5, 1 and 2 says, My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Yet I planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. And then have you turned before me into a degenerate plant of an alien vine? Notice here what we're being told with these verses, that God planted Israel and he planted them as a noble vine of the highest quality. And because of that, they should have brought forth good fruit. I mean, if you're a farmer and you plant a noble vine of high quality, there's an expectation that I've done all this because I'm going to receive good fruit from this high quality vine. But the problem with the nation of Israel is even though they were planted that way, they turn away from God. And in turning from God, they became a degenerate plant and an alien vine. And because of that, instead of bringing forth good fruit like they should have, they brought forth wild fruit. So Israel was not the true vine that they were meant to be. They did not bear the fruit that God desired from them. And because of that, they are this false vine that instead of bearing the proper good fruit, they bear this wild fruit. And so when Jesus emphasizes, I am the true vine, he's contrasting himself with the nation of Israel who was the vine of God, but yet has been this false vine who has not been faithful to God, who has not borne the fruit that God wanted. And Jesus making clear, hey, I'm not like that. I'm the true one. I have stayed faithful to the Father. I have borne the good fruit that the Father wants. And also, I think the most important thing of all of this is you guys think that your connection to God is because because you are a part of the nation of Israel, but I want you to understand you don't get connected to God because of your nationality. You get connected to God through me. I am the true vine. If you want connection to the Father, you have to be connected through the Son, not through your nationality, not through being Jewish, being Israelite. That's not what is going to do it. You have to come through Jesus. So Jesus starts this illustration by saying, I am the true vine. But he also shares two very important parts of the rest of this illustration and what those parts are actually speaking about. He says, my father's the vine dresser. And he also says, you, speaking of the disciples, are the branches. So as we look at this illustration that Jesus uses of the grapevine, we have three very significant and important parts of this illustration, and we have meanings to each one that we need to make sure we understand so we understand what Jesus is saying. So the vine dresser is the person who takes care of the vine and branches, the one who is there to help those branches produce more fruit. And Jesus says that is representative of God the Father. The vine itself is a representation of Jesus, and the branch is a representation of his disciples, of believers in Jesus. And notice that Jesus starts here sharing what God the Father, who represents the um, vine dresser, does to different branches in verse 2. We're told this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, And every branch that bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's two different types of branches, and they're actually referring to two different groups of people, both being Christians, because notice Jesus says, every branch in me. 
you know, in Jesus, in Christ, very significant statement, especially throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Ephesians, and always connected to being in Christ is only someone who has put their trust in Christ. You can't be in Christ until you believed in Christ. And so when Jesus says, in me, he is speaking about those who have put their trust in him, those who are believers in him. So there's two different groups of believers and the first is this branch or this group of Christians that don't bear fruit and notice we're told that God the Father does something to them um, those who don't bear fruit we're told every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away now I want you to note something here and not only for this passage but just to keep this in mind as you're studying the Bible as a whole and you're defining different words in the Old Testament Hebrew words translated to English and the New Testament Greek words translated to English that oftentimes you come across a word like we have here that's translated take away that has more than one meaning more than one way that it can be used and this shouldn't be surprising to us because in the English language we have plenty of words that have more than one meaning. You know, I could use the word bank and I could be referring to the side of a river or a place that you put your money in. Uh, and so, you know, it has two different ways in which it could be uh, used. The word date could mean a time or it could also mean a fruit that you eat. And we even have English words that have more than two meanings, like the word squash. Uh, it could mean a fruit. Uh, in Scotland, it was quite popular, a game that you play with rackets, a type of dr a drink, something that could be crushed or squeezed. And it's all the same word, and you could be using it with all these different meanings. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we have a, a word from the Bible, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, that sometimes those words have more than one meaning, more than one way in which they can be used. And we see that here with this Greek word that is translated taken away. So the fact that it has two different meanings, I want you to I want to tell you what those two meanings are. The first one is the one that we see actually the most. Uh, this Greek word is translated over 50 times in the New Testament. The most common way it's translated is to take up, to elevate, or to lift up. It, 32 times in the New Testament, that's the way it's translated, either take up or lift up. And it's also used uh, 25 times to mean to, to take away, to remove. Okay, now those are two very different things, you know, lifting something up versus taking it away and removing it. And so the same word has these two different definitions that you can use. And so the question is, how is it that Bible translators who are reading the Greek know which one of these definitions to translate into our English Bible? Well, what they do is they look at the context of what's being said before and after and what's happening, and they make their best judgment based on that. But it doesn't mean that it's always quite accurate. You know, they do their best with the context. And there's many Greek scholars who would say, you know what, in this particular instance, this Greek word would have been better translated, lifted up, and supposed to taken away. Uh, and you know what, if you look at the context is kind of interesting because both definitions would make sense and this is why it would have been a difficult thing for the translators because in the context of this analogy actually a vine dresser if something wasn't bearing fruit one of the things that they would do sometimes would be just to remove to take away that branch that's not bearing fruit but something else interesting to understand especially about grapevines is that um a vine that wouldn't bear fruit oftentimes were vines that were drug on the ground, that were growing on the ground. And so if you've ever seen people grow grapes, uh, you'll probably notice that they're connected to some kind of wire, some kind of pole, some kind of structure, even if they're growing up on houses, because it needs to grow up off the ground. If it's on the ground, it's not going to grow. It's not good for the grapes. Uh, if those um, leaves and everything and the vines on the ground and they're dirty and they're not getting the proper sunlight, they're not going to get the growth they need. They're not going to get the nutrients they need and they're not going to produce the grapes. And so what the vine dresser would do is he would lift them up and he would stick them onto something so they could grow up off of the ground. And so they're not like squash or carrots. They don't grow in the ground that they need to be lifted. 
And so you could definitely see with either one of these things, the, the vine dresser, gardener, you know, the, the branch isn't producing fruits. You know what? It's been so long. I'm taking it away, removing it. Or you know what? Hey, I, my goal is for all these branches to produce fruit. So I'm going to lift it up. I'm going to clean it off. I'm going to do what I can to get this branch that hasn't been bearing fruit to start bearing fruit. And the reason I'm sharing all this is because I personally believe that the Greek word should be translated lifted up as opposed to taken away. I can't be dogmatic on this by any means. There are a lot of people who believe taken away. That's fine. I personally hold to the fact that Jesus is actually communicating that the Father, when he sees a believer not bearing fruit, that he comes to that believer, lifts them up, cleans them off, because the goal is, I want you to bear fruit. And the things that are hindering that fruit bearing, I'm going to help you to come to that place of fruit bearing, as opposed to Jesus saying, when the Father sees a believer not bearing fruit, he cuts them off, gets rid of them. The guy loses salvation. Those are a lot of the, the conclusions that people take from this parable. And I don't think that's what this is speaking about, that this is what uh, Jesus is communicating. Um, but, you know, I think the reality is, if you look at your own Christian life and you look at the Christian lives of others, there can be times of barrenness. When it comes to bearing fruit, there can be times in a Christian's life where they're not bearing fruit, and oftentimes it's because of sin. And it's in those times that the Father doesn't say, I'm just going to get rid of you. He says, no, I'm going to come, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to get you to that place where you are starting to bear fruit because that's my heart for you is that you would do this. And within the context of it all, we need to understand Jesus is speaking to only believers. Eleven disciples, the one that wasn't a follower is Judas. He's gone. And so really he's talking to believers. This is about believers growing in the ability to produce fruit, not some way of how do you gain salvation and lose it. And so within the context, I think it makes more sense that Jesus is speaking about lifting up as opposed to taking away. So the second group we're told is a group that does bear fruit. So the first one doesn't. The second group does bear fruit. And notice we're told what the Father does for this group. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you have this one group that's not bearing fruit at all, and you got this other group that is bearing fruit, and I'm sure the, fruit, the group that's bearing fruit said, man, we're doing so much better. And the Father said, that's nice that you're bearing fruit, but you know what? My heart is that you would bear even more fruit, and I'm going to do something to help make that happen I'm going to prune you. The pruning process is when the, the vine dresser cuts away things that are hindering the branch from bearing more fruit. And that's what God does in our lives. He says, you know what? There are things in your life that are hindering you from bearing the kind of fruit that I want from you. And so, you know, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to prune you. I'm going to cut those things out of your life so that you now can bear more fruit. Now, usually we don't really like the pruning process because it can often be painful. It's definitely painful to our flesh that likes those things. That's why they're in our life to begin with. You know, we, we do them, we indulge in them, we keep hold of them because our flesh likes them. And God says, nope, I'm going to cut that away. You're like, no, 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 I want to keep that. This is painful to have this removed from me. I don't want that. But we need to understand it's necessary for us to be pruned if we're going to bear more fruit. You know, I'm sure most of you, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, have prayed prayers where you pray, God, I want to be a better husband or wife. I want to be a better mother or father. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better coworker, more godly person that you've sincerely prayed, Lord, ultimately, I want to bear more fruit in impacting this world for you. And when God hears those types of prayers, it excites him. Oh, I want that for you as well. I'm desperate for you to bear more fruit. I want you to be that better husband and wife and that parent and that coworker. I want you to be more godly in what you do. And so God says, oh, great. I'm glad that your heart as well and that you want me to intercede in your life in order to make that happen. So I'm going to come and I'm going to prune. I'm going to come and I'm going to cut some things out so that you can actually be that better parents or that better spouse or that better coworker or that more godly person. And God's like, great, I'm going to answer that. And all of a sudden he starts answering our prayer and our response is, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you cutting me? Stop it. It hurts. I don't like it. I don't want it. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm your loving father. 
You asked for this for good reason. I'm going to give you this. I want this for you because I want you, and I know you want it as well, to bear more fruit. You know, several weeks ago, Eden came to me with a big splinter in her foot, asked me to take it out. I had to get tweezers, start digging in there, and it hurt. You know, I'm, it was hard to get hold of that thing, and there's a lot of pain going on in her foot, and, you know, even a point, like, let's just leave it in there. But as a loving father, it's like, no, we need to get this out. You know, you're not going to be able to walk properly. You're going to have pain all the time. We got to get this out. And so, as I love her, I caused temporary pain in her foot to prevent her from a long-lasting pain if I would have left that there. And I think in the same way, we need to understand that God's saying, you know what, the cutting out process of pruning, it's going to have some temporary discomfort, some temporary pain. But let me assure you, the lasting impact that's going to come is so much better for you because now you're going to start to bear more fruit. And so you got to let me as your loving father do that for you. Now, for those who aren't bearing fruit, he lifts them up to help them start bearing fruit more. And for those who are bearing fruit, he prunes to help them bear even more fruits. And just notice the Father's goal. My goal is for you to bear more fruit, whether it's starting that process or gaining more. So he's never like, you know what, you get to the point where you've arrived. I have so much fruit, I don't need to bear anymore. God is always pruning, always working. His desire is that we would continue to bear more and more and more fruit as we grow in him. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. When Jesus says you're already clean, he's kind of coming back to something that he said back in John chapter 13 when he's washing the disciples' feet and he gets to Peter and Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you got no place with me, Peter. And Peter's like, okay, well, wash my head and my hands. Just wash everything. And then Jesus reveals to him, you know what? You've already been clean, taken a bath. Now all you need are your feet cleaned. And we notice that Jesus speaks of that one-time cleansing which comes at salvation. When we put our faith in him, we have that full cleansing of our sin. But then as we walk with the Lord, there is a regular cleansing that takes place as well. Not a salvation cleansing, but just a cleansing from the sin and the filth of the world that we come to the Lord with. And we see here that you know one of the great tools that we have that God has given to help cleanse us is the word of Jesus. You are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And we see this with the word of God, that it condemns sin and inspires holiness. It promotes growth. It reveals power for victory. And it's just a great source of getting cleansed with. But now Jesus is really going to get to the heart of the whole thing. He's kind of set up the stage here with this illustration. Now he wants to get to the heart of what he's actually trying to communicate to his disciples in verses four through six. He says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. Notice here that Jesus reveals that the only way that you and I can bear fruit is if we abide in him. The Greek word here translated abide means to remain, to not depart, to continually stay connected to something. So Jesus is saying, you know what, you and I need to remain in him. We need to make sure that we do not in any way, shape, or form depart from him. That we need to continually stay connected to him. You see, if you break off a branch from a vine, it's never going to bear fruit. I mean, you break off a branch from a tree, you break off a branch from anything, you know, what happens to it? It just withers up and dies. Because all the source that it has for nutrients, for growth, for bearing fruit, you've just disconnected it from. All that source is now gone, and now that it's not connected to the vine, it is impossible for that branch to bear fruit. All it's going to do is wither up and die. 
Now, the disciples would have been fully aware of the reality that if you separate a branch from the vine, the branch can't bear fruit. And so Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus wants to make two things abundantly clear to the disciples and to us. The first thing is this. If we abide in Jesus, if we stay connected to him, if we don't depart from him, if we do all that, then we will bear much fruit. But there's the opposite side of that as well, which is the second thing he's saying. If we don't abide in him, if we don't stay connected to him, if we do depart from him, we won't bear any fruit. And this is where it kind of becomes hard for us, where we think, well, I can understand I need to be connected to Jesus to bear fruit, but, but surely I could bear something on my own. And so to make very clear that the disciples and us do not miss this reality, Jesus says this, for without me, you can do nothing. Now I want you to note here, when Jesus says without me, you can do nothing, it isn't that they couldn't do some activity without Jesus. The disciples could be full of activity, and we've actually seen that in their life. But what he's saying is he said, you can't do nothing. You can do nothing of eternal, spiritual worth and value to God without Jesus. And this is the problem that so often takes place when we're you know, trying to just do stuff on our own. We can be active. We can even do things that look good. But according to God, if it's on our own, there is no lasting spiritual fruit, nothing that brings glory to him, nothing that ultimately is going to be what he wants that is good fruit from our lives. This is one of those truths in the Bible that I personally have really struggled with applying. You know, there's things that intellectually you can fully grasp. This is not a hard one to intellectually understand. Jesus is making it very clear. With him, I can, if I abide in him, I'll bear fruit. Without him, I won't do anything. But when it comes to the application, at least in my own personal life, there are many times I thought, you know what? I could do something on my own. I mean, surely I can accomplish something on my own for God. Surely I can do something of value for God. And every time that I have tried in my own, depending on my strength, my ability, myself, and not being connected to Jesus, the same result has always happened. It didn't bear fruit. It was a failure. And all my efforts and all these things that I did, they never uh, accomplished what I ultimately was hoping, which was this fruit-bearing, lasting thing that would bring glory and honor to God. And I had to come time and time again to the realization that what Jesus says here is absolutely true. Without me, you can do absolutely nothing of eternal, spiritual fruit-bearing significance that brings glory and honor to God. You know, the many pictures of the relationship between God and his people, you have lots of different illustrations that God uses, but the vine and the branches are actually the, the illustration that has the most dependence, need, and constant connection. I mean, think about some of the other ones that are very familiar to us. You see, the branch depends on the vine even more than a sheep depends on a shepherd. You see, a sheep can exist without a shepherd. You know, it might be a frightened existence. You might have problems without the shepherd, but that existence is possible. How about this? Parent-child. A child can exist without their parents. Once again, yeah, there's a lot of rough things, a lot of difficult things, but the existence of the child can still happen without the parents. But guess what? A branch has no ability to exist without the vine. Without the vine, there is no branch. So that connection, that essential union between those two is even more than sheep-shepherd, than parent-child. And so this illustration that's being used shows just how vital our abiding relationship is with Jesus. Our ability to produce fruit is only possible through a continual connection and abiding with Jesus. I think something important for us to understand is that Jesus isn't just added to your life to help you to produce fruit. He's the source of your life, which makes fruit producing even possible. 
You know, we add a lot of things to our life all the time. We add this supplement, we add this experience, we add this relationship, and we add these things because we come to the conclusion that if I have this in my life, it's going to make my life better. And sometimes as believers, we take that same kind of thinking into our relationship with Jesus. You know what? I'll just add Jesus as this supplement to my life to make my life better than it is now. But you know what? Jesus is not interested in being a supplement to your life. He wants to be the source of your life. Jesus isn't interested in being the supplement of your life. He wants to be the source of your life. Jesus wants us to relate to him just as a branch relates to the vine with absolute dependence. Not just something I add here and there when I'm in this thing or, or, or struggling with that. Here, I'll give a little Jesus now. No, He's the source. I recognize I'm completely dependent on him. Without him, I can do nothing. I don't just add him at bits and points of the day. I depend on him 24-7, 365 days a year because he is my source. If you want to bear spiritual fruit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you have to abide in Jesus. It will not happen if you don't. Now, for those who don't abide in Jesus, he gives this warning in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burnt. Now, notice earlier Jesus was speaking about bearing fruit and what would happen when those who did or didn't bear fruit, but now he's talking about something more significant because a fruit bearing only happens from the abiding, the relationship. Those who don't have the relationship, those who aren't abiding in Jesus, have no connection to him. He says, those are the ones who have the real issue. Those who have no relationship with me, well, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to be cast out as a branch, gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I mean, the Bible is very clear. If you have no relationship with Jesus, you haven't accepted him as your savior, you haven't put your trust in him, ask him to forgive you of your sins, then the consequence of that if you do that for your whole life and die, is that you will go to hell. So we clearly see that abiding in Jesus is vital to our Christian life. But maybe a question you're thinking as you, as you hear this is, what does that look like? I recognize, yeah, it's important. I need to do it. You know, you've been saying this over and over. I get it. But what does that practically look like for me? How do I actually put that into practice in a daily walk with Jesus. Well, Jesus, as he continues in verses 7 through 10, he shares three practical ways that you and I can abide in him. Three practical things that we can do to help that abiding connection process take place. The first practical way we abide in Jesus is in verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Notice here Jesus connects us abiding with him, his words abiding in us, and then asking and we're going to receive what we pray for. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The first practical way that we can abide in Jesus is by continuing in his word and prayer. That you and I need to daily spend time in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, daily take time to invest in praying to God. But you know, when you neglect time in God's Word, when you neglect time praying to God, it becomes much more difficult to abide in Jesus, much more difficult to stay connected to Jesus because when you're reading his word, you're receiving from him the message that he wanted to declare to you. He's given to us and he's like, here, I'm speaking to you through my word and you have an opportunity to speak back to me through prayer and we can have this relationship of abiding through these two things. But when you neglect it, it makes that relationship of connection so much more difficult to have. But you know what? Not only do we bear much fruit when we abide in Jesus, verse 8 tells us something else happens. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. 
You know, if you want to bring glory to God, and I hope you do as a believer in Jesus, guess what? In order for you to bring glory to God, notice what Jesus says, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. So you need to bear fruit to bring glory to God, but in order to bear fruit, you got to abide in Jesus. So you abide in Jesus, you bear fruit, and the result is God gets glory. And what a wonderful result from this. And I'm not just wanting to bear fruit for my own benefit, but I'm wanting to bear fruit because I want to bring glory to God. The second practical way we abide in Jesus is in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. You know, what Jesus says here, don't miss. Because it's such a wonderful thing that he is sharing with his disciples, that he's sharing with us. As the Father loved Jesus, notice what he says, he has also loved his disciples. That's the way in which he loves you, the way in which he loves me. Now think about this. The most amazing relationship of love that there is is the relationship of love between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus loves us in the same amazing way that the Father loves Him. You know, the Father's love for the Son had no beginning, had no end. It is close. It is personal. It's without measure. It's unchanging. And that's the way that Jesus loves you and I. David Guzik wrote this. The love of Jesus for his people is so remarkable that it's the analogy or illustration that he must make. He didn't say, I love you as a mother loves her baby, or I love you as the way a husband loves his wife, or I love you the way the soldier loves his buddy, or even I love you the way an addict loves his dope. The only way he could paint the picture was to use the love of the father for the son. I mean, think about that. Any analogy that we have in this life doesn't compare to the love the Father and Son have. So even the best love relationships that we could use in this life aren't as significant as that one. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you about the kind of love I show you, and I'm going to use the only illustration I can that would actually fit that. And that's the love the Father has for me is the same kind of love that I have for you and demonstrates to you. But notice Jesus goes on to say, Abide in my love. Stay connected to, remain in my love. The second practical way that we can abide in Jesus is by remaining in his love. Never lose sight of the love of Jesus for you. Never lose sight of how he has clearly demonstrated that on the cross for you. You know, one of the ways that we take communion and Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me is because he wants us to remember that demonstration of love so we don't lose sight of his love. That's such an important thing to stay connected to Jesus because the love that we have for him and that he has for us is such a huge part of that connection, that abiding happening because you don't abide and stay connected with those that you don't feel love you, that you're not confident in that. We have to be assured of that. We have to continue in that. We have to remind ourselves of that so that that connection will stay there, that abiding will continue, especially when we're going through difficulties where the enemy likes to lie and say, man, God doesn't love you if you allowed you to go through this. No, he loves me. He's already proven how much he loves me. And no matter what difficulty I go through, that's not going to change what I feel about the love of God towards me. And it'll keep me connected to him. The third practical way we abide in Jesus is in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Remember back in chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You want to show how much you love me? Obey what I have commanded you to do. And now he shares something very similar to that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The third practical way that we can abide in Jesus is by keeping his commandments. You know, one of the best ways to stay connected with Jesus, to have that relationship just tight and deep, is to obey him. One of the greatest ways to separate yourself from that connection is disobey him. You know, if you're anything like me, when you're disobedient to Jesus, you don't want to come spend time with him. You don't want to get close to him. You know, you want to distance yourself from him. You recognize I'm in sin. I'm being disobedient. I'm not doing what Jesus asks of me. And so I don't want to abide today. I don't want to connect to him today. I don't want to be close to him today. But you know what? When you are being faithful to do what he's commanded you to do, oh, you're excited. 
to come and be in that relationship. There's not those things that are, are wanting you to stay distant or wanting to keep you away. And it's so important that we obey him if we want to stay close to him, if we want to abide in him. So if we want to bear fruit, Jesus 10 times has said it because he doesn't want us to miss it. Abide in him. And three practical ways that you and I can do that is by continuing in his word and prayer, by remaining in his love, and by keeping his commandments. But you know what? Sometimes we look at that as this chore that's so difficult that's just going to produce hardship and pain. Oh man, all right, I guess I'll abide. I guess I'll stay close. I guess I'll spend time in the word and prayer. I guess I'll do these things, but it's just going to be so hard and it's just going to be producing all this struggle in my life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let me tell you why I'm sharing this with you. Let me share with you something that will be produced if you actually abide in me. Verse 11, we'll close with this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The reason that Jesus has shared about the importance of abiding in him, staying connected to him, getting into his word, in prayer, that loving relationship, all of it is so that the joy for him it may remain in us and that our joy may be full. And I want you to recognize this. When you do these things, the result that Jesus is sharing is you're going to be full of joy. That's what's going to be brought to your life. No, it's not the lie that if I abide in Jesus, if I do what he tells me to do, if I have that love relationship with him, if I'm in his word, in prayer, it's just going to be a chore, a difficulty, a hardship, something that's going to bring just trials and, and problems to my life. No, Jesus said, no, no, you do this and there will be a joy that's in your life that is so full. And I'm sure, I hope that we are seeking that. We want to be joyful life people. A life full of joy is, I'm sure, what so many of us are seeking. And sadly, we're seeking it in the wrong places. And we're not being fulfilled because the source is through abiding in Jesus. And when we do that, the result is he's saying, man, you're going to be blessed. Because you're going to have a joyful life. And it comes through that relationship of connection and intimacy with Jesus, and when you separate yourself from him, you distance yourself from him, you're not abiding in him, you're not going to have the joy that comes from that. You're going to be removed from that joy, and that's the problem that so many of us have. Because you know what? Let me read this. D.A. Carson wrote this. No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures and does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is sinful, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but his memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He's a man most to be pitied, and he can for cannot forever remain ambivalent. You know, there are many Christians who are kind of those lukewarm Christians. They want to have one foot in the world and then one foot in the kingdom of God. You know, they want to try to indulge in some of the worldly pleasures and indulge in some of what living for God does. And those are the ones that are the least joyful and most miserable because if you are truly a believer, guess what? You got too much of the Spirit of God to ever be fulfilled and satisfied in living for the things of the world. And the other side as well. You know what? When you're trying to live for God and have this, you got too much of the world to truly be satisfied in living for God. And so if you truly want satisfaction and joy, there's only one thing to do. You go all in to abiding in Jesus. Forget the world, forget the pleasures of the world, forget living for the world. I'm going to give it all to Jesus, connect to Jesus, abide in Jesus, live for Jesus, spend time in his word and prayer. And that's what's going to ultimately bring the joy to my life that I'm so desperate to receive. Let's pray.